basically. Uh, matter of fact, if you read the same verse in, uh, in an NIV version, New International Version, it says it. It says, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because what God has been showing me in these things, in, in Scripture, the Scripture, the Scripture, that there's actually a covering on the outside that, that we are covered uh, with the cloak of Christ. Now, if I take this and, and, and study this out about the covering, about the coat of uh, a coat and different things, uh, coat can mean several different things throughout the Scriptures. How many remember Joseph had a coat of many colors, for instance? Uh, I'm going to talk about Elijah and Elijah uh, to give you some what of a previous introduction. Elijah uh, picked up the mantle that Elijah, Elijah had uh, fallen from heaven. We'll go over that tomorrow. And so there's this, there's all these references in the Scripture about coats. Uh, and Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six and verse eleven, he says, "Put on," and it means that word. Here's that word again. Put on means the same thing. Invest with clothing, the whole armor of God. He says, and you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What we used to do with, you know, for the kids and stuff, you draw a little armor, you get the Roman helmet and stuff like this. If you go to our war room, we have an actual uh, um, uh, replica, uh, museum quality replica of what the armor looked like in Paul's day, for the period correct. And we talk about the sword of the spirit. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness, don't we? So we talk about clothing to somebody. But what Paul did, he shifts now from water baptism and putting on Christ to putting on the armor, which is a different, now it sets a different mode, doesn't it? So basically now he's saying, okay, put on his armor. And we think it's just a little cute, little symbolic. Now Paul is serious when he wrote this. And he put this in such a way, you place on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and you can visualize yourself putting this stuff on, can't you? Praise the Lord. And that, so, so this is what we're talking about. Last week I shared a little bit about Gideon when I was preparing this message. God brought me back to Judges chapter 6. And sure enough, here it is in the Hebrew now, of course, in the Old Testament Hebrew. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet. And, uh, and, and so basically they said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him again. The word in the Hebrew says upon is again putting on the clothes, putting on the, the raiment, putting on the garment, uh, in other words. So all of a sudden Gideon was called, if you remember the story, he was called to go out and he says, uh, and, and uh, God sent an angel, said a mighty man of valor, remember that? And he, he said, no, I'm not, I'm the least, the least in the tribe, and so on and so forth. And he, he began to argue. And then uh, he says, no, he says, he says, God has called you, God is with you. And he says, go out and tear down the altars of Baal. He says, if I tear down the altars of Baal, they'll kill me. He says, don't tear down the altars of Baal. He says, in your village there. So basically, that's where Gideon started. He started right in his hometown, right where he lived. And he tore down the altars of Baal and says, no, he's in his, they, sure enough, the, the townspeople wanted to kill him. And his father stood up. He says, why? He says, now you're going to stick up for Baal? He said, if Baal is real, he says, I'll let Baal take care of his, uh, take care of his own. And uh, so on and so forth. From that point there, Gideon had, had initiated himself, or God initiated him, into this call that he was going to free his nation. But, he, but something happened, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord, this is what it says actually, it says the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and when Gideon stood there in the clothe and the raiment of God, he blew the trumpet, and all of his tribe members tribe fell in behind him. 
And then he sent out decrees for all the other uh, uh, tribes in Israel to come and join uh, in the battle. Something happened when God put the clothing upon Gideon. It changed Gideon's life forever. To get back to water baptism, when we baptize people, we baptize uh, hundreds in this church, we baptize, but we, we, we immerse people. It's amazing, and, and I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me when a person comes up they have an awareness. It seems like they have awareness of the presence of God that they didn't have before. So there is something about this coat or this, uh, this garment that is placed on them by God. It's not a physical thing you can see, it's, but it's, it's real nonetheless. And that's where I want to go this morning and talk about that because basically today we are dressed in the clothing God has placed us in. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you are placed in a, in a clothing that maybe you not, maybe have not read a teaching or, or, or be aware of it, but God is aware of it. And that puts you in a position, as Gideon received the, the, the uh, garment of God, the clothing the garment of God, it prepared him for the battle, or I should say for the call that God placed on him. Paul mentions the armor again, to repeat myself in, about Ephesians 6.11. He's saying, prepare for battle having on the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and even our shoes shot with the preparation of gospel peace, the helm of salvation. And he names out all these pieces of, of clothing or protection. These aren't real armor that we put on as far as physical armor, but it is God's protection and clothing for when we go into battle, we have a different covering than when we uh, just walk in Christ. And I want, to, I want to make that point this morning. So where does all this start from? This is, this is common language that we don't have today. Uh, there was a man in David's uh, group. Uh, he was a Amasaiah. Uh, he, he blew the trumpet before the ark, and he was in Saul's regime. The same thing. And the Spirit came upon him, same word, same translation, and the Spirit clothed him to uh, uh, defect from Saul's and, and, and team up with David at the, at the caves of Adullam. Later on, if you remember, when David got the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, this man was there blowing the shofar, welcoming the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God. But it says he was clothed, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Chief of the captains says, we are yours, David. In other words, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he committed himself to David, along with all his, his other members, and he said, he said we're, we're committed to you. Stayed with David up until the very end. But it says the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him. The Spirit of the Lord put this arraignment. Something happens, okay, when God begins to speak and puts this garment upon us. Something happens to us. We change. We're not the same. And we're somehow equipped to do things we weren't equipped to do before. Isn't it amazing? Uh, so I, I started studying this and studying this, this, this more and more and more. I realized that, uh, that as I studied this thing, eventually this thing took me to, into Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. How many remember the story of Adam and Eve? Simple story, right? Uh, uh, you know, and Eve went ahead and, and, and uh, took part of the forbidden fruit, remember that? Um, and, um, and we've been kicked out of house and home ever since. No, not really, but basically, uh, but she partook of the fruit. Of course, Adam then partook, and when they both partook together, that put the sin on mankind, expelled out of the garden. How many know what happened next? When God began to, well, of course, they covered themselves with fig leaves. They realized they were naked. 
They've always been naked, nothing ever changed. And all of a sudden, God comes on the scene. How many remember what, what happened? It, they covered themselves with fig leaves. What's wrong with that? Work is a covering, right? So what was wrong with, with, with the fig leaves? Because God came down and changed it. What did he change it to? This is amazing. God changed the type of covering that man had made. He changed the covering. Amen? Why? Well, Adam had a good idea. It served the purpose. So why change it if it serves the purpose? It served Adam's purpose. It served Eve's purpose, but it didn't serve God's purpose. We've got to understand when God puts clothing on us, it doesn't just serve our purpose. It serves his purpose. Amen? So when we say, well, what's the difference of this? What's the difference? It doesn't make it. What's the difference here? It makes a difference here. Well, maybe it serves your purpose. But is your lifestyle now serving God's purpose? Now, let me fast forward. What did he do? He clothed them. He took away the, the, the fig leaves, the plant uh, uh, life. Um, by the way, anybody here this morning wearing cotton? Well, you're wearing a plant. Okay, unless you're wearing polyester or you know, something like that. Uh, this suit I have on is wool, so I think, I think I'm, I'm a little more holy. Or this jacket I have is wool. A little more holy than you are, because at least it came from an animal. No, I was just kidding. But uh, what uh, uh, God did, he took the skins of animals, and he, and he clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. Why? Why? Did, did Adam and Eve's nakedness offend God? Hmm. But yet he covered them. And it isn't so much that he covered them, because that's where we get the focus on, but what he covered them with. Where do you get animal skins from? Um, are they live animals or dead animals you get skins from? <laughs> well, I, I haven't seen any animal willingly give you the coat. I mean, that was it. But so, so what we have in the Bible, we have the very first recorded incidence of a sacrifice that was pointing to many. Of course, you remember Jesus was in the plan of God even before the foundations of the world, before the world was created. Jesus was the plan uh, for man's redemption because God wasn't surprised about all the things that happened. So when God took and he saw Adam's sin, he saw Eve's sin, he removed them from the garden what, because they had access also to the tree of life. But in that fallen state, they weren't going to have access anymore to, to, to either tree of knowledge or the tree of, uh, of life. So basically, the, he removed them from the access of the trees because basically they failed the test. Uh, and so what happened, he took animal skins. He had to kill the animals and put the skins around Adam and Eve. So basically, what we see in the scriptures is the very first sacrifice, animal sacrifice, and it was made by God to cover their sins. And then he gave them, a, okay, this is what you'll do now to cover the sin. And this will be an atonement. Bible, the, the Bible uses the word atonement in the Old Testament for sin. Atonement, what we have today uh, through Christ is not atonement. We have redemption. There's a big difference between a redemption and atonement. But God put in, in later on, of course, with Moses, he talked about the series of, of um, uh, uh, you know, of uh, once a year, uh, of the sacrificial lamb and a whole that, all pointing to, uh, of course, they were all uh, prophetic visions pointing to Christ, but also uh, um, it took care of the sin problem for another year, I guess we put it that way. So here God took these animal skins and he wrapped them in Adam and Eve. He put a covering that was suitable 
to redeem them from their sin, or atone them from their sin, I should say. So there was a covering that was suitable for that. It also became noted that when the, when the animals uh, shed their skin or gave their skin to, to God, it was innocent blood on those. I don't think they took them out in tandem and had them altered and, and made a jacket or fur coat out of them. I think basically he took the skins off the animal, which killed the animal, and he took the bloody skin and wrapped it around Adam and Eve and said, this is what it's going to take. This is, what, this is the price for sin. Okay, it's going to take the innocent blood. Of course, he's pointing to the innocent blood of Jesus. It's going to take Jesus was without sin but made a sacrifice for us. He said, from now on, this is how man is going to be redeemed or brought back. So they kept up the sacrifices. So here we are in, 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 back in Genesis with uh, the very first act of sin. So that was a clothing. Was Paul referring to that when he was saying waters of baptism? He said we put on Christ. In other words, the nakedness of our sin or worldly attitudes. In, well, he said for God's covering, he says we put on Christ. So there's a, there's a covering that God has given us that represents Christ. What do we do in that covering? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'll, I'll share some things with you. Uh, are, we, are we here this morning? Yes. Amen. So I started looking at some more ideas through, this, through the scriptures, and I found something really interesting. How many remember, I remember the, the stories as a kid even. How many remember Joseph in the Bible? And what did Joseph had that it, Jacob gave him, or Israel gave him, gave to, to, to his son because he favored him? What was the sign of favor that Jacob gave to Joseph? Does anybody remember? It was a coat. Again, coat, clothing, right, that he put on. Uh, this is after, after he got a, a vision, and uh, he said basically he was gonna, God was going to put him in a place of authority. And all your, all your brothers and sisters, all the rest of the 11 brothers and sisters or brothers would bow down to me, is what God showed me in the dream. Of course, that did nothing but anger his brothers. And, but he stood there saying this in this coat of what? Many colors. Remember, Joseph had a coat of many colors. So he's standing there and he has his coat on of many colors. Well, what does that mean? Does anybody ever have, have a teaching on what the many colors stands for? So we're standing in a coat of many colors. We have a dream that everybody in the family will bow down to me. Sounds kind of uh, <laughs> somebody full of themselves or whatever. But anyway, his brothers thought the same thing and it angered his brothers. So I started studying. I said, what, was about, what is it about this coat? We know the dream, and we focus on the dream. It did happen, by the way, just as God had showed it to him. But what about the coat? The coat itself seemed to be an object of anger for his family, for his, for his brothers, his siblings. Why? Well, then I started, see, we lose a lot of, of the customs uh, in our today's society. We don't have these customs. But the fact is, I started looking. This is what I found. Now, you've got to dig a little bit deep to find this one. Uh, this was a, several Bible scholars and commentaries. And I've been was searching all these different things. And this is what I found. One commentator had said this. It said that the coat of many colors, each color represented a characteristic of Joseph uh, or, or anybody who wore it. So basically, it would say this, if Joseph was kind, he had a color for kindness. If he was uh, tall, he had a color for that. If he was, if he was uh, uh, well-spoken, he had a color for that. And basically, all the different colors made up the characteristics. Now, we're not talking about a patchwork quilt. 
We're talking about, actually, if you look in the Hebrew, we're talking about the threads were woven into the fabric and became part of the fabric like that characteristic was going. I said, well, there's got to be another place in the Bible where this is found. So I did. I started looking for it. Sure enough, Psalms 45 and verse 14, you want to jot that down, says this. It says, she shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. And the virgins with her, uh, her companions who follow her shall be brought, brought to you. She, talking about the princesses or royalty, is brought before the king in many colors. And again, that's what it says, that many colors uh, represent the at- each quality or good quality. Then I, I found another commentary that said this. I said, this is, I like this one. This is cool. He said, basically, he said, the many colors... Also, the different giftings and the different anointings that God places on an individual. Are we not royalty? The Bible says he has made us kings and priests unto him. So basically, in a sense, that we, we are... are, are uh, let me jump back to Joseph for a minute. Where did he get this coat from again? Oh, wait a minute. He got his coat. He got the coat of many colors from his father as a gift. What Paul is alluding to that we also have clothes or a coat that is given to us by our Father through Christ Jesus. Help anybody this morning. Okay, is, is this okay? I'm going to give you a lot of uh, details and different things like this, but uh, bear with me. I, I went further than that. I went a little bit further than that. I found out this. Okay, uh, I said, that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, even before royalty as they knew it was invented, uh, uh, Jacob had given Joseph... Joseph did become, well, basically his brothers wanted to kill him. Uh, Judah, the one brother, said, no, don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery, and we'll make a buck off this thing. Right? (laughs) So they sold him into slavery, and the qualities of the colors, I can almost guess in David's character, patience was one of them. Amen? Virtuous. A man of his word. I mean, you could go to the integrity of Joseph. Uh, when he was in prison, he helped out other people. The kindness, uh, mercy for other people. This is all qualities. Each one of those colored threads going through his garment. I could see that. I could see that. Handed down from Jacob, his father. Okay, one of the three of the covenant. Covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here, this was, this was like an approval from God. A gift from Jacob wasn't just putting clothes on his kid. A gift from Jacob was an approval from the father. So this was approval from the Father. I can't help believe that Paul carried this over to the church of Galatia when he was trying to teach him uh, a difference between God's grace and their religious hardness. Amen? So anyway, I got studying a little bit further. So I looked at this. Are we okay with this? Okay. <laughs> I said, I'm going to start out at the beginning, preach to the end, and come back again. But, the, the, but the, I, I studied this. And how this is, this is well known. Everybody should know this, this story. How many remember when Jesus went to the cross? Okay. Uh, and what happened was he was beaten at the whipping post when they finally turned over to the Romans. The Romans beat him. Uh, uh, that was prelude to the crucifixion. Uh, and they, then they, when they got done beating him, they mocked him. And what they did, they took a purple robe and they put it around Jesus. Purple is a color. Matter of fact, give you, if I can give you a, just a, a, a background on purple. Purple was a very, very difficult color for the Roman in Roman era to du- duplicate. Basically, and I'm a scuba diver, so I appreciate this story. The, 
the, what makes up purple was a certain oyster that's found in the bottom of the ocean. Of course, this is the days before scuba diving and all those other uh, techniques to get you. So, and it took so many of these particular oysters or shellfish to be crushed up and what it extracted was a color purple. Another thing, this is not, not quite as glamorous, is when they did that to set the dye or set the color into the fabric, there's a process, I don't know the whole process, they would, to, to get purple, the color purple. They set these shops and factories and stuff that made these things would set jugs out onto the sidewalk. And basically they were looking for contributions, oh, not the money contributions, but contributions of urine. <laughs> it took urine, or I should say the ammonia product in urine to set the color purple. So though these are very expensive, very, very expensive to have a purple robe, they also had a, a, somewhat of an odor to them, <laughs> if you can imagine that. But this is what they put around Jesus. This is the robes that kings of the Roman Empire wore, or very high aristocrats, very expensive. So they, would, they wrapped Jesus in, in, this, in this purple robe, and then they took a crown of thorns and placed it on his head, mocking his kingship but they're mocking his kingship and what they put around him was a covering of the Roman Empire. Amen. Every beating that Jesus took, every mocking of the covering that they removed Jesus' covering that was his and put their own covering around it. <clears throat> they took off and removed the covering that Jesus had, his covering, and they replaced Jesus' covering with their own covering. They replaced the covering that Jesus had, they took it off and they replaced it with their own covering. In other words, they saw Jesus not as he was, but as how they wanted to see him at the time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So they removed the covering and they used it to mock him. Amen. I like what one commentary said. Every beating that Jesus took was a, uh, was a sentence against the sin that they had committed. And whether they'd realize it or not, that with every beating, with every abuse of Christ going to the cross, including the cross, was a mark on their soul that was going to be called back later for redemption. Anyway, praise the Lord. Let me, let me carry on. So they, anyway, they, they put him on this purple robe. They took the purple robe back off him. Why? In crucifixion, there is no covering. Crucifixion, according to Isaiah, according to a lot of the other prophets, uh, uh, being hung on a tree or nailed to a tree, was considered a curse. Jesus became a curse so we wouldn't have to be. Amen? So he had to, he had to die as, a, as one who has been cursed with the sins. We say, well, Jesus died for us. How, how did he do that? His covering was removed. Remember on the cross, he said, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at the time his covering had been removed, Father in heaven turned his back because he had no covering. So he stood on the cross and hung on the cross without clothes as a cursed individual. 
Meanwhile, while he's hanging on the cross, the Roman centurions are gambling, they're casting lots. Now, they separated all his belongings, maybe shoes, sandals, maybe another coat, maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, keypaw, whatever he had, he had there. They, not keypaw, it was later on. Uh, they had the uh, prayer shawl, different things like that. Maybe he had, but they took all his belongings that he owned, and they began to d deal them out and divide them between each other. Until they came to what the New King James calls his tunic. A tunic, what's a tunic? Uh, you guessed it, coat. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, praise the Lord. So, so when they came to his coat, they noticed a, a fact about his coat was completely um, made somehow, I don't know what it looked like or how it was made, but it was made somehow that there was no seams in it. It wasn't stitched in seams. And they said, whoa, whoa, wait, let's not divide this particular coat because it's such a fine material. This wasn't the purple robe that he wore. That was belongs to the Romans. That went back to the Romans. This was his tunic that he wore every day. Jesus had such fine clothing, even in everyday life. I mean, they got Jesus painted as, as, as a symbol of poverty. But this was a fine coat that even a Roman centurion did not want to diminish the value of this coat. And he took it, and basically they cast lots, and winner took the coat home with him. So they cast like So Jesus lay bare, naked on the cross, with no covering whatsoever. The Father turning his back. And then when Jesus had passed, Jesus had died, and the Father again raised him from the dead. Of course, you know the whole story there. But what he rose from the dead, he was no longer naked. When they saw him in the garden, he was closed. Amen. But now his clothes begin to shine. There was a brightness about his clothes. Why? Because he put on the clothes that the Father had placed on him. Now, not as a, uh, a martyr, not as being mocked, not as, 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 as a sacrifice for our sin, but as a resurrected Savior. Now he's wearing the co coat of a Redeemer. You see the, are you starting to see the importance of, of the coat? Amen? And, and, and what it means. It brought me to another scripture. <laughs> are, you, are you with me so far? I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. You might have to go back over. But I went to another scripture. Jesus said this. He says in Matthew chapter 540, uh, uh, he makes this statement. I'm reading out of the New International Version because I like the way it says it uh, uh, better. But anyway, he, Jesus says this in Matthew 5 and verse 40. He says, if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt. Wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand hand over your coat as well. Why do you say coat? That's why I like the NIV because it brings out this is word coat it doesn't say tunic. This is coat. Why coat? Why hand over the garment too? And it was somebody going to sue me? I'm going to give them. A, I'm not going to give them extra. Jesus said, "No, hand over your coat." Remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples? He says. You understand the parables, he said, but not all will understand all these parables. He said, the parables aren't, dis aren't simplification stories. The parables are those who want to search and really have a hungering for knowledge. Will be, the, the parables will be a revelation given to those. Those for the casual observer will never understand the parables of Jesus. I remember that when I read this because I said there's something different about the coat. If I take this into the context of which I'm just talking about now, 
He's saying, he's saying, okay, he says, somebody wants to sue you or somebody wants to do you wrong or somebody wants to come after you for whatever reason, unforgiveness, whatever the problem is. He says, to take your shirt or to take something from you. He says, give them also your coat. Can I revert back to Galatians 3.27? We're baptized in the Christ. We now have the clothing of Christ on us. So whatever they can take away from you physically, whatever physically you own, he says, show them your coat. <laughs> the coat that I'm wearing right now is not this jacket that I'm wearing for church. The coat that I'm wearing now is the coat that Christ has placed on me, that I am one of his. And there's an anointing that goes with that covering. He says, show them that. Reveal to them that coat and give them that coat. Why? Because that code of Christ also talks about forgiveness. That code of Christ also talks about redemption. That code of Christ also talks about prosperity. It also talks about all the things that Jesus has given us at the cross. It, it, it talks about healing. Show him that coat. So when anybody comes to attack you, show him the coat that Jesus gave you. That's how I see that. I, 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 I says, this is really cool. Amen? Another sides of the parable. How are we doing so far? The water baptism that starts out as just a church ceremony um, to symbolize that we've given our life to Christ. If we look at what it means, it means now that we are clothed with Christ, wearing the coat that he has given us. Wearing the coat that covers us now is, is given us by Christ. That means the anointing of our purpose. How many know when we are born again, we are born again, well, when we are created, we're born, period. We're born with a purpose. God, God given purpose. Some people can live a whole life and die and never know their purpose uh, that God has within us. That's probably the biggest tragedy of death. Not that we lose our life, is that we lose our life and never know the purpose. Amen? Because that's something we discover through the coat of, of the Lord. Remember he says when you go down into waters of baptism, you arise. You go down, in other words, it's representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The clothes you have on now from water, or I should say from water baptism, are the clothes of redemption. The clothes of resurrection. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he was not naked like you come off the cross. When he rose from the dead and came out, he came out clothed, but now not with the clothes of, uh, of a rabbi, uh, a teacher, not as the clothes of, of um, the Roman mockery, uh, as it will, not with no clothes at all, just as he died. No, no, he came back again with the clothes of redemptive Savior. He came back, those, the clothes of the redemptive Savior came back with the clothes of the coat of a king of a king of eternity, with the power to redeem even those that are, seem to be condemned by this world. A lot in this coat. What Paul is saying, he says, you have a covenant with Christ because of the circumcision. He says, it's not circumcision made with hands. It's a circumcision made, he says, made uh, uh, from the heart or made to the heart. So what happens when circumcision is made to the heart, our heart has a covenant with God. Because circumcision is the mark of the covenant in the Old Testament. The co Abraham's first uh, covenant. 
Now I mentioned covenant. Can I give you something else? I studied this when I was an instructor in Bible college. I, one of my subjects was blood covenant. So I had to learn a lot about it. I got schooled a lot in, in what the, the, the steps to a covenant were. In ancient times, there were certain steps. Uh, for instance, they, they took a, an animal sacrifice. They split it down the middle. The, lengthways, they split the halves onto the ground. And whoever's making a covenant with one another, they, pay, they went, walked through the blood. And as they're walking through the blood, they swore an oath of what they had and what they actually became, they actually became one family. Even though they're two separate, DNAs are different, but they became one family, that was part of covenant. And that was one of the steps. Another step, they planted a tree and poured the blood over a tree. A tree was a symbol of growth as the covenant grew so other generations could see and other generations could pick up the covenant if they so desire. Oh, there's a lot too, there's a lot more than I have time to get into it today. But there's one other thing that they did in those steps, was, there was about 13, 12, 13 steps. Uh, they're here and there in the Bible. They're not all put together, but they're in different places. But one other thing they did is they took off their coat. They took off their coat and they handed it to the other person. Say, I'm making a covenant with another person. I handed my coat and I gave them my coat. They did the same thing and there was a swapping of coats and that was a symbol of covenant. <laughs> what Jesus did essentially when he went to the cross, he swapped coats with us. He swapped coats. And through the act of circumcision of heart, after water baptism, and identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, because this is what I usually say, is that we, could, we are buried with him in baptism to arise now in the newness of life. Go and walk that. In other words, in other words, walk in that life. So basically, that's the, that, that's the life we have—the redeemed life. With covenant Christ, we swap coats. Interesting thing about the coats for those in the military—you don't even have to have a conversation. You can walk in a room with with a bunch of uh, military people that are dressed in any branch of military in the U.S. Uh, and you can look at their coat. You can tell what their salary is. You can tell what their rank is. You can tell basically how long they've been in the military. You see, you see one of those guys, you used to call them hash marks down the sleeve. What's that mean, Jason, when you see a whole bunch of hash marks? A long time in, them, in the service, the more hash marks, the more experience he has. You can tell everything. Don't even have to talk to the guy. Just look at a person. And you can tell everything about their coat. I wonder where they got that system from anyway. Praise the Lord. So the coat that we have is now is taken, taken, taken on. The, Christ, the coat that Christ has given us, that's what we walk in. Amen. We literally have to take it off and lay it aside. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I remember this goes back years and years and years ago. You've got to understand something about me. When God called me into the ministry, he called me out of the construction. <laughs> I was rough, crude construction worker. When Jesus found me, uh, he, he, he did the refining, well, the best he could, I mean, <laughs> but did the refining. And, uh, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to dress. Uh, basically, I, had, I remember we were, I was in QS. We just started the church, I think, the first year we were here. And I had a, a guy approached me, was in Key West, and he had a, a large church up in uh, Chicago. And he wanted to um, uh, come in and, and be part of what we're doing. I told him we're just starting out, and, you know, we didn't have any money, couldn't 
couldn't afford to pay him, but if you wanted to have a meeting, we'd have some meetings or something. And I called a friend of mine who was up in Boca Raton and had him come down. He brought some people down and we had this joint meeting. And we're sitting in the, in the front of the church, church over on Eaton Street, and we're sitting in, the, in front of the church and, and, they, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Now, you gotta understand, we didn't have any money. <laughs> there was no money. There was no clothing budget for the pastor or nothing like that. So basically, whatever clothes I had on that looked like a suit was what people gave me. Uh, the jacket that I was wearing at that particular time, I think, was found in a dumpster someplace. But anyway, it was clean. I had, you know, rack clean, but the, it didn't have to pay for it. Somebody gave it to me and said, hey, let's look at that fish. And we're sitting there, and the, one of the pastor's wives after the meeting, come up to me and says, Pastor Kevin, she says, we don't want to offend you. Uh, you're doing a wonderful job here. We don't want to offend you, but you, you, got, you, you need help. Uh, help? Why? What did I do? What did I... No, no. He said, your clothes. And when she said that, she like led the, led the pack. Then all of them chimed in together. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You got to do something about your clothes. A suit? I didn't own a suit. Now we don't even wear suits much anymore, but I mean, we didn't own the suit. So the, 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 the pastor from Chicago, he says to me, he says, he says guess what? He says, uh, he says, you know what? You're about my size. He says, I got a suit that'll fit you and you can have it. And what he pulls out the next night, I come, in, I come to church in a suit. We had a series of meetings. I had come to church. I was, I was so happy. I felt prosperous. I was still broke, but I felt, <laughs> felt prosperous. I felt like, I felt like, this guy gave me, I looked at this suit, and I looked at the name brand, this had to be over a $500 suit. I didn't have to alter a thing. It fit me perfect. I had the pants, I had the jacket, all I had to do was put on a dress shirt, got rid of the button-down collars, you know, the other stuff you got, and, and I felt like a million bucks. It made a difference in my whole attitude in my dress back in those days. And I came out, I'm so proud, I'm, I'm so happy. I, as far as I was concerned, that was a miracle, the whole, whole, whole thing right there. Nobody had ever given me a suit before. Nobody had ever, you know, and to, to even have enough boldness to speak unto me, because I, I was pretty quick back in those days. And, but it, it, to even say something, you know, we, you need help uh, with your clothing. But that, I remember that coat. But I remember that after that, shortly, I only had it for about a year or so. I said, I gotta give this to somebody else. This was given to me as a gift. Now I gotta pass it on. Got a little money together. And I went to a, 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 a famous French boutique to get my next suit. You might have heard of this boutique. It, I mean, it was, it's, it's world famous. Jacques C. Panet. Or commonly known as J.C. Penney's. <laughs> I bought suits. Didn't have $500, but I bought nice suits. You know, nice quality suits that look good. Because they, they, those guys got a hold of me, and they even taught me the, the difference of what a good suit looks like from a cheap suit. He said, "There's nothing worse than looking at a cheap suit." He said, "Get a good suit." And, and so this is what started me on the trek of, of learning how to dress. But even back then, there was there was a, a, a reason. For, for, for dress. Why? Because you're a representative of Christ. Amen. Amen. Now we, we dress like this. I'm still wearing, thank God we can wear jeans again, you know, just to, but this is, this is still what they call business casual. Still, uh, you're still dressed for the particular, uh, particular uh, uh, whatever you call it, in, in style. I started to understand some things. I started to understand some things of what Jesus had done for us. 
I started to understand some things, and things that really came, really came together for me was Elijah and Elijah. In ministry, I never had the privilege of what some ministers have as far as having a mentor. I was never mentored. Basically, back in the day when I, when I, I started the church, um, the pastor, I had a pastor, he said, we'll go out and start a church. He'd boot you out the front door. And basically, if you survive, then I guess it's God's glory. If you don't, come back in and sit down. That's how, that's how they did it. Nobody mentored you into different things. I never really had that mentorship except for the Father. And I, I'm, I'm, but what it did, it honed my senses so much I could listen to the Lord and, and, put, and I could get the clarity of God. When I share this next scripture with you, can you take one more? Yeah. I share this next scripture for you. This is a famous one. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, Elisha, we all know Elijah the prophet, called down fire from heaven and uh, consumed things in different, and, and he, he was heard from the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going to, you, you're to go and anoint Elisha and he is going to be your replacement. What happens was, if you in 1 Kings chapter 19, he's out, Elisha's out plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen. That gives you an indication that Elisha came from wealth, any way you look at it. Elijah did not. These guys, if you look at the stories, these guys are about the two opposites you can get. They are so opposite in their ministries and anointings even. I think it was done intentionally by God. I would not think. I know it was done intentionally by God. I'll show you why in a minute. So... Here he is plowing the fields with 12 yoke of oxen. The prophet comes along and he takes again his mantle or his coat. He doesn't say a word. Amazing. Preacher not saying nothing. Walks up behind Elijah and drops his mantle on him. Doesn't say a word and walks on. Isn't it amazing that Elijah knew exactly what it meant? We would be, I mean, today we would be stunned. I mean, okay, you're giving me a jacket, nice jacket. What would you give me a jacket for? What's this for? We'd have, all, we'd have 101 questions of why you, you did this. He did not have one question. He says, let me first go and do this. He knew exactly the prophet was. And the prophet turns around and says, what do I got to do with you? This is God's calling between you and him. He slaughtered the oxen, gave it to the servants for food, burned the plows, which weren't his, by the way, which were belonged to his father, <laughs> and took off and served, well, anywhere from six to probably 15 years or so. It depends on which commentary readers can discrepancy, but let's say at least 10 years. So for the next decade, all he did was wait on this guy who wouldn't even tell him what he was to do. All he did was take his coat or his mantle and put it on him. This was the mantle, this was the anointing or the symbol of the anointing that Elisha walked into. And guess what? The mantle, the mantle was different from the mantle that Elijah, Elisha would be walking in. If we took the mantle and say, well, this is your mantle, uh, 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 and, and okay, so that means with the mantle that God has given me, not the cloth or the, or the, or the clothing, but the mantle that God has placed on me, he allows me to be a judge over Samaria. With that same mantle, I could righteously judge Jezebel and Ahab. I could judge them. God gave me that mantle. That is not the same mantle that Elijah had. But when it came to Elijah going home to be with the Lord, he said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to heaven. And Elisha says, he says, 
uh, he's, oh, Elijah says to Elijah, he says, he says what, uh, before I go, what can I grant you? Elijah says this, he says, give me a double portion of what you have. Think about this for just a minute. Can we just brainstorm just for a minute? How do you give somebody double of what you have? You only have single, how do you give double? In other words, if I, if I, if I walked over to Bertie and said, Bertie, how much money you got on you? I got 100 bucks. I says, I want double of what you have, but I only got 100 bucks. I want double. In other words, I'm asking for 200, but you only have 100. How do you do that? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you only have what you have, and you can only give away what you have. You can't give double what you have because half of that you don't have. Did I, say, did I say that right? <laughs> so this is what he's asking him. But Elijah turns around and says to Elijah, he says, okay, all right. If you see me when I go, he says, you can have what you request. How? How is he going to get it? So, okay, we're, we're, we're anticipating, we're looking at it. Okay. So he says, he's, so they go along, he says, uh, I'm going to go over here, you wait here. He says, no, 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 no. Truly the Lord liveth. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving. You're not, I'm not, you're not getting out of my sight. And he stays to him like glue, man. He just stuck to his, and he's just, all the time he's looking at the prophet. Prophet goes to the bathroom. He's keeping his eye on him. The prophet goes, he's there. it had to be weird. <laughs> but he's watching them because he said, if you see me when I go, he doesn't know when he's going to go. So they walk along, they walk along. Elijah takes off his mantle, his coat, and he hits the river and he walks across on dry ground. Both of them walk across the other side. All of a sudden he gets over to the other side and all of a sudden this whirlwind comes. Now wait a minute, you've got to keep your eye on the prophet. What Elijah says and what he sees in 2 Kings verse 2, he says, he, he says, uh, he, he, so, uh, he said, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. The chariot did. Separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven. The chariot of fire did not take Elijah up. The whirlwind did. Do you have this? The chariot of fire now comes between the two of them. But Elijah, Elisha is watching, and he's still keeping his eye on the prophet. Get out of the way, chariot of fire. I can still see him. 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 And the whirlwind comes along and takes him up. Pretty soon, moments later, what floats down from heaven is what? The mantle, the coat of Elijah floats down from heaven and Elisha grabs it. Well, he said a double portion. I just see a single coat. He said a double portion. You see, you got to understand, it was in, the key was in the coat. The key that he has was in the coat. The key, everything that he asked for was in the coat. He had to get the coat. And he couldn't take his eyes off it. In other words, he wouldn't allow himself, listen to me, church, he wouldn't allow himself to be distracted by all the other goings on, the chariots of fire, the, uh, the chariots of Israel, all, all the things that are going on. He still kept his eye on that prophet. 
He wouldn't take his eye off until he was completely out of sight by the whirlwind. And here comes the coat. What happened? God removed that mantle, put his blessing on it, and sent it to Elijah. It wasn't the same mantle as they, when I say mantle now, we're talking spiritually speaking. It wasn't the same anointing. If we run down the, the prophets and the difference, for one thing, uh, Elijah was uh, a loner. Well, mostly alone. Elisha lived in a city, had family, so on and so forth. Uh, Elijah wore animal skins and it was burly. Elisha had fine clothes. He was, he was rich. The difference between the two of them were, were absolutely... Now, talk about the miracles. The mantles were completely different, but the double portion was still there. Elijah did, Elisha did exactly twice the miracles. I take it back, twice less one. Well, he was alive. The double portion came is when Elisha was in the tomb and, his, and they threw that soldier in, a dead soldier in on his bones and his bones caused a resurrection. There was number 20, right? That was, a, that was the, the double right there, double portion. So the mantle, regardless of the color or design or whatever, is, doesn't, isn't, isn't it. It's when God puts that, places that mantle, that particular gifting and anointing on you. That's when it matters. Now you're understanding the coat of many colors. Now you understand what Paul says, in the waters of baptism, this happens. In the waters of baptism, you, call, you put on Christ. Now the limits are taken off. Praise the Lord. He takes the mantle. It doesn't stop there. He takes the mantle, goes over to the same river, and says, where is the God of Elijah? Not Elisha, Elijah. Where is the God of Elijah? And he smokes it, and it splits. Now we're on our way. The call, the purpose, all he did for the last 10 years, for more than a decade, serving this guy, now all the came down to an article of clothing, if we look at it that way. But the article of clothing encapsulated in that physical article of clothing, that physical coat, was the purpose and plan that God has. Can I flip back again to Galatians 3.27? We're buried with him in baptism. And through that baptism, we put on Christ's clothes. We are clothed in him. Just like Elijah had the blessing on that mantle and took that mantle everywhere he went, as a symbol of the anointing and the gifting of God and the call and the purpose of God. So we place on ourselves Christ as a symbol, as a, as, a, as a gifting, as a calling, as the anointing. Everything that we have are going to have or we hope to have comes through that anointing, comes through that Christ, comes through that mantle called Christ. Now, Paul says, when you're running against the enemy, he says, put on the other clothing that Christ has also given us. Has he not given us righteousness? Has he not given us salvation? Has he not given us the sword of the spirit? Has he not given us the shield of faith? Has he not shot our feet with the preparation of gospel? Have we not been girded about by Christ? Every piece of that armor is Christ anointed. Now you take and step into that clothing. Now you are, are, are dressed in a different attire for a different purpose, for a different job, and we get it done with an, another anointing. And all these things, God, there's an anointing upon your righteousness. There's an anointing upon the salvation that God has poured out for you. 
I love how, how a religion has reduced it down to you get to go to heaven when you die. They got you prepared for death when Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. Where's that abundant life, by the way, in John 10 come from? The anointing, the mantle that God has placed on us. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ. Hallelujah. Powerful, powerful. That's what it means. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I went a little bit of overtime here, but I think it was worth it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said this last statement, second closing. Amen. Jesus said this. He said, do not say that there are still four months, or do you not say when there's still four months, uh, comes the harvest. He said, behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with harvest. We are looking for a time, we're looking for a season, and Jesus is saying those season. So what does he say? Well, let's take the words. He says this. This is the last revelation, and I'm going to end. He said, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. When you lift up your eyes, which way are you looking? Up, obviously. Up. What's up? This is, this is the key to the message. So I want to, you're looking up. You're looking at heaven. You're looking at God. Then he says, look at the harvest. Look at the harvest where you got to look. You got that? Yeah. Lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. We look up, we look, take our eyes and we look up to God. We get our perspective. We get our understanding about our mantle. We get our understanding about our anointing. Now look at the harvest. And instead of looking at it with your eyes, with your shortages, with your impossibilities, now you're looking at it through God's. Look up, look at the harvest. Look up, look at the harvest. We are so busy trying to get something from God just to make our life more comfortable or, 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 or add to our lives. But Jesus is trying to get us clothed in his clothing so that we can have a broader, bigger picture. Look up and get your perspective from God. Now look down. Look up. Let's meditate on the Lord for a minute. Now let's look at the problem. Let's look up. Let's listen to what his word is saying. Now let's take care of the, what needs to be done. Instead of saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where this world is going to. Hell in a handbasket. Uh-uh-uh. Going to heaven. Look up. Get your perspective from God. See what God sees. Then look at the harvest. How many got something out of the word this morning? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. For all those listening to by, or watching us by live stream or will listen to this message later, we just pray. We pray the anointing of God and his mantle falls on you. Right now. If you've been water baptized, if you're not water baptized, uh, uh, then you'll probably not understand a lot of what I'm saying. But through water baptism, if you remember what the experience was like, regardless of how 
wherever you were baptized, if you can search back to that particular moment, I think Paul's words will mean a whole lot more now that we understand what it is. But put on, let's be clothed with Christ. Now, that's not to put on a phony attitude, well, I'm going to be Christ-like. How many, how many try that and it doesn't work? Because all that happens, we try to be Christ-like and the devil pushes our buttons and we, we just, uh, we, we go off and, and then we feel, feel guilty for saying it. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're going beyond that. Look up before you look at the harvest. God's perspective is this. In the mistakes and all the things that we do wrong, okay, God is going to build off the things that we do right. Look up, get his perspective, now go back and hit it again. Amen? Amen. What on earth, what on earth could stop you from having God's purpose in your life? What could stop you from, from, from fulfilling the things when you're clothed in his clothes? I had to bring up Elijah because Elijah proved that the fabric that he was wearing translated somehow to the anointing that he was called to. We don't make the transition. We don't make the translation. Now, we have an article of clothing given to us by Christ that we really can't see. But how does that translate into the call and purpose? The same way Elijah's physical mantle struck that water and split it, just like Elijah did. The power wasn't in the mantle. The power was in his hands to perform and send it forth. The, power, the mantle was a piece of cloth that was given to him as a symbol. Christ, water baptism, water baptism is still just water. When we get done baptizing here, we pump it out into the storm drain. I mean, it's just water. But something happens when a Christian gets there by faith, and they come up out and they can visualize Christ rising from the dead. My old man is gone, and a new man is taken on like the resurrection of Christ. We look up, and now we see the harvest. We look up, and we see a different perspective. We look up, and it's all different. We look at things differently. When we look at things differently, we believe differently. When we look at things differently, we become different. You're trying to change by getting rid of all the things you hate. You change by grasping holding the one thing you love. Him. Hate is not your driving force. Love is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.